It's your Thursday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day. Hope you guys are as well. Really good show coming up today. Going to talk a lot of wild hockey with Sarah McClellan, beat writer from the Star Tribune. It's been a little bit since we caught up, so we had a lot to go through. This team's been through a lot this year, hasn't it? I mean, it's been up, it's been down. They get the injuries, they fired a coach, and here they come through it to a point now where they've won three in a row. They've got a big game tonight against Nashville, one more against Anaheim before they get a bye week, the All-Star break, things like that. Trade deadline, a little over a month away. Kind of a crucial time for this team, especially in the context of this season. Sarah will help me break that all down with her expertise in just a little bit. Bit. Get to the Timberwolves at the end of the show today. They won against Washington, playing playing this kind of stretch of games against against bad teams, and you know they they squeaked out some wins. This one was a little bit more solid, especially in the second half, um, kind of recovering from that bad loss to Charlotte the other night, erasing that from their erasing that from their memory, I guess. So, I'd say a good win. I mean, Washington's a bad team, but a, a good win in terms of kind of cleansing their palate from the bad one the other night. So they kind of got back on track. First, though, what did I miss? Got to start with three things. Joe Buck, the Bucks, and a head coach who gives zero hesitation about wanting to win. Randy Moss, without even really being able to run as he shoots the moon to the fans here in Green Bay. That is a disgusting act by Randy Moss. That call, of course, if you are a Vikings fan or even a Packers fan, you probably recognize that from the Vikings' win over Green Bay in the playoffs after the 2004 season. Feels impossible, by the way, that that was almost 20 years ago, about 19 years ago now that that game happened. Randy Moss catches a touchdown pass late in the game that helps put the game away. Joe Buck... On the call there, uh, um, with the with the famous uh, the famous call of the disgusting act. Why are we bringing that up right now? Well, Joe Buck was on a uh, was on a show this week. I think it was a podcast this week, and he was asked what you know what moment if you could go back in your career and take back one call that you made, what would it be? Without hesitation, he mentions that call. Says it says he can't believe it came out of his mouth at the time. That with the benefit of hindsight, he wished he had done it differently. That he doesn't like live in live in a space of oh like regret. But it's not like he loses sleep over. But if he had to do it all over again, could kind of you know, time travel or just like wish it hadn't happened. And he said this a little bit over the years that he he kind of regrets it. But it was interesting to me because that has been such a polarizing call over the years Vikings fans I think a lot of Vikings fans developed a distaste or dislike for Joe Buck over the years because of that singular moment in history and Buck obviously has been on the call for numerous big games you know he's with Fox ESPN he's had a lot of high profile assignments I think my opinion of him was probably clouded over the years because of that single game because of hey like what you know what was so bad about that? It was a funny moment. To call it a disgusting act just kind of seemed over the top. Well, it turns out Joe Buck agrees, and that was interesting to me that that little piece came out this week, so I wanted to make sure everybody caught that. And I'm going to write about it a little bit more, I think, today on the Randball blog on StarTribune.com. So have a few expanded thoughts on that moment and him saying, hey, I wish I could do that over again, too. Let's move off of Joe Buck and talk about the Milwaukee Bucks and just the 
what I consider bizarre, but also a sign of the times in sports. The Bucks a little while ago fired their first year head coach, Adrian Griffin. You must think, wow, the Bucks must be lousy this year. They must be underperforming expectations massively. No, they're 30 and 13. Second best record in the Eastern Conference, about the same record as the Timberwolves. People here are elated with the Wolves record. They grumble occasionally about Chris Finch, but they probably would talk about Chris Finch more as a coach of the year rather than a candidate to be fired. They fired their head coach about halfway into the season with the second best record in the Eastern Conference because I don't know what exactly, because Doc Rivers was available. Sounds like Doc Rivers is going to be the coach because their defense was slipping. It's bizarre. Their defense was slipping because when he was hired, when Adrian Griffin was hired with a defensive reputation, they had Drew Holiday, who's one of the best defensive players in the world. They traded him to get Damian Lillard, who is not one of the best defensive players in the world. He's one of the best offensive players in the world. Their identity changed immediately, and now they're blaming some sort of bizarre set of circumstances on their head coach. I don't get it. It's it's very it's very odd. Like in one in one case, it's very sports. and even just like world 2024, right? You see something, it's not quite working, and you make a quick decision and you fix it. You change it. So I get that. Like their championship window is now. They've got two, three years maximum probably with John with Giannis and um, and Damian Lillard as their core Chris Middleton too they've got that kind of core right now that wants to win now so yes I get it if you don't think this coach is going to get you there maybe you do need to make a change but it feels radical like they're not a 500 team they're winning right now they're figuring things out you had to change your entire identity after this head coach arrived because you made a trade that changed your identity I just I get it and I don't get it I just I don't know why I'm so drawn to this story like I don't really care about the Milwaukee Bucks all that much there's no like Wolves Bucks rivalry there's not this like intense Minnesota Wisconsin rivalry that exists between these two teams but I just found it bizarre when I said wait this coach they fired was 30 and 13 and now they're bringing in Doc Rivers who's you know whose most success came 15 years ago not saying he can't have success now not saying he's not the right person for this window of time but strikes me as odd that a team that is successful and seems like it's been successful this year and has made this intentional hire less than a year ago is now going in a different direction. And finally, speaking of coaching, this is not unexpected at all. Jim Harbaugh has been announced as the head coach of the LA Chargers. Sounds like it's a five-year contract. Everybody's saying the right things. Harbaugh Won a national championship, of course, with Michigan this past season. Kind of running away from the NCAA at this point. Had two suspensions last season. He's got the whole cheating scandal, the recruiting stuff hanging over him. Probably the perfect time for him to go. Who are the Chargers getting exactly? Well, they're getting a coach who pretty much wins everywhere he goes. And this, you know, you got to tie this back to the Vikings. Can't help it because Harbaugh was here for an interview about two years ago exactly. Vikings end up hiring Kevin O'Connell instead, a first-year head coach. O'Connell's had some success. I think O'Connell has a really bright future. If they had hired Jim Harbaugh in that moment, I don't know that he was the right coach for the time. 
This is more of a roster in transition than it is a team ready to build and win right now. The Chargers have some building to do, but they're probably in a different spot than the Vikings were because the Chargers have their young quarterback, Justin Herbert, to build around for the next five, ten years. The Vikings didn't have that. They have Kirk Cousins, but they didn't have the guy that they knew could get them someplace in the next five to ten years. So different job, different place for Jim Harbaugh. He's got some connections there. He played there previously in his uh, quarterbacking career in the NFL 20, 25 years ago. So it makes some sense, but you bring it back to the Vikings. If they had made a different decision in that moment, it probably would have meant they were going for it right then and there because Jim Harbaugh is a guy who is ready to win right now. We will see how that move shakes out in the long run. We're still going to judge that, especially now that Harbaugh is back in the NFL. It will be a fascinating storyline for the next two, three, four, five years, however long both of those guys are employed in their respective jobs. Could be longer. It's just the nature of coaching. Hey, some guys get fired after half a season, like Adrian Griffin did in Milwaukee. Different sport, but same kind of thing. You're seeing NFL coaches get let go after a year, sometimes less these days. How will Harbaugh do with the Chargers? What does it mean for the woulda, coulda, shoulda, might have happened with the Vikings? That will be wa- That will be something I will be watching over the next few years. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino. Let your story begin. Let's bring in Sarah McClellan right now from the Star Tribune. Talk a little wild hockey today. Sarah, how are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm good. Thanks. It's, you know, it's late January. It feels like the time where we really start to shift a lot of attention onto the NHL. You've been paying attention to it, obviously, you know, 12 months a year. But as a, if you're a Minnesota sports observer, like the Viking season is over. College football has been over for a while. It's not it's not twin season yet. We're kind of like, okay, if people are just kind of casually dipping their toes into the wild season um, and now are starting to ramp up a little bit, to, to me it feels like they don't know what to expect because I haven't I have not been able to figure this team out all year. They, they, they're up, they're down. Do you have a, a better handle on kind of what's going on and, and where their where their season is at right now? That's very appropriate. I think up and down. Um, you know, how did they get here now? So they're, you know, a couple more games to go before they have a bye week and the all-star break. So how did the wild get here? Where are they at right now? Well, yes. they're a few points, they're a few points back of a playoff spot. Um, they're in the mix, but they keep kind of shifting from being in the race to being kind of on the edge of the race. Um, uh, but the fact that they are still kind of in pursuit um speaks to the turnaround that they had after a poor start. Um, they obviously fired coach Dean Evison, made a coaching change, brought in John Hines, and then immediately started playing better. Uh, they won four in a row. They went on 11, three run. They really turned it around. They really, uh, looked like they, um, adopted the changes that John Hines implemented seamlessly. And then, you know, they were back in this race and, and, and the playoffs obviously, um, you know, looked like that, that was something they were going to contend for the rest of the season. Since then, there's been those ebbs and flows. There's been, you know, a four-game losing streak. They've dropped six out of seven. Uh, They had one win at one point in like an eight-game span. 
Um, it's it, There's been some struggles, but again, now right. they won three in a row. They've won four of their last five. So they're back now at a position where Thursday's game against Nashville, Nashville has four points on the wild, but obviously that could, you know, be cut down to two and Nashville, you know, is sitting closer in that playoff spot that the wild is chasing. They're right now in that second wild card spot. Um, that could change obviously based on what happens in these next few games, but um, that's a big game. So they're back in that territory where these, you know, there's these four point game nights and, and um, they're playing division battles that have, you know, terrific significance on the standings. Um, so yeah, it, it's been very up and down. It's been kind of back and forth uh, on the whole though, since John Himes took over, they have rebounded. They've made some changes um, through it all though. I think kind of the asterisk is the injuries, the yeah. adversity that this team has dealt with. Uh, I think when you probably look back on this season, that'll probably be one of the hallmarks, one of the telltales of what the team dealt with was just um, kind of the constant struggle to stay healthy. Um, And that's going to stay that way the rest of the season. Captain Jared Spurgeon is going to have season-ending surgery. Um, So their blue line in particular has been affected by this. So they're persevering and and staying in in the hunt for a playoff spot despite being shorthanded. So um yeah, very much up and down roller coaster ebbs and flows, but they're still they're still there. They're still in this conversation. The injuries too, like you said. I mean, uh Jared Spurgeon has been a bunch of other guys that have missed some time and some guys still out. They're kind of getting guys back. They're then they're hurt again. You know, Gustafson was out for a while. Felt like their latest lull was everything at once, all the injuries at once. So I, I kind of gave them a pass a little bit on that, but then you looked at it and you're like, well, if they don't get guys back soon and start winning soon, like they were all of a sudden like eight points back of that last wild card spot. And there's a lot of teams kind of fighting for one or two spots there. It's it's kind of, there's a clear hierarchy in the West, it seems like where, you know, even if they're in the mix, there's kind of like a lot of teams in that mix. Then there's this clear, like, you know, top six, top seven, however it's sorting out right now. But it did feel like injuries told the story of the most recent stretch of bad play more than anything else. Like they just couldn't overcome a lack of talent or a lack of the kind of talent that they're used to having. It really stood out. And that was a change from earlier in December when they were playing some of their best hockey, even though Jonas Ferdin wasn't playing, Jared Spurgeon wasn't playing. So they really kind of had a knack at one point for winning despite being shorthanded and missing key players. Uh, there was that run um, in December where, you know, I think at one point they they won seven out of eight and they were missing some pretty key players for a big stretch of that. Um, but you're right. I think when the injuries to Philip Gustafson and Kirill Kaprizov happened in the same game and they lost those players for around two weeks, uh, those were absences. I think that you're right. They, they really showed up in, in their play and, why wouldn't they? That's their leading, you know, one of their leading offensive producers, obviously, right now, their leading scorer in Kirill Kaprizov and their top goalie in Philip Gustafson. Um, so I think you're right. I think that really showed at that point. I really thought then, uh, you know, that recent win last week in Florida kind of maybe was the culmination of like, enough is enough. Like they, they were injured, obviously Um, they'd been losing ground. They were just coming off, you know, a a really tough loss in Tampa Bay the night before Flurry gets hurt in that game against the Panthers leaves 
Gustafson comes in um, and they find a way to hang on and win 6-4, score five power play goals. Like that really felt like that could be a galvanizing turning point win because they, you know, the news had just come out that Spurgeon would be done for this season. Um, Freddie Goudreau was hurt Thursday night in Tampa. Like, like the adversity just kept piling on. It was kind of a microcosm of the season. Like, okay, what next for this team? What else can they withstand? And it just looked like they just kind of drew a line in the sand and found a way. And since then, that's been the start of, of this win streak that they're on right now. They won against Florida. They then wrapped up the trip with a win in Carolina, um, kind of eking out a victory. They they weren't really in that game in the first period. Carolina really controlled the puck, had a lot of shots on net, a lot of possession, but the Wild went a 5-2. And then again on Tuesday night against Washington, a 5-3 victory, a couple of those goals really late by Washington. So it was a pretty solid effort, you know, start to finish for the Wild. So What's next, though? Like, is this going to continue? That That's kind of like what we said, the defining point of this team in this season. Can they keep it going? Is it still going to be, you know, a couple steps forward, a couple steps back? They definitely have an opportunity. This is a big game against Nashville coming up. And then they play Anaheim, who obviously is struggling this season right before the break. So there's opportunity there. Um, you know, we'll see if they get any any healthier the rest of this way. Flurry still hasn't returned, but Gustafson's won three in a row. So um, it really is. You're, I think, really in hockey, your best players really do set the tone. Gustafson's played well, and so has Kaprizov. He's played some of his best hockey of late during this win streak. He had the hat trick in Carolina. So those players continue to to set the tone. It certainly looks like it bodes well then for this team's potential on a nightly basis. Taking just a little step back to the coaching change, and we've seen enough of John Hines now to kind of know what he wants out of this team. What what specifically, you know, whether it's you know stylistically, whether it's lines, whether it's like what he wants them to do on a power player penalty kill. What like what aside from just being a different voice, do you think he's done differently here? I think a word that really stood out to me that that was mentioned early on was predictability. And it makes sense, but maybe it kind of gets glossed over in, you know, the 82 game season and in the NHL and how competitive this league is and how high scoring it is. But, you know, for this team to be predictable. And what I mean by that is on the ice in situations that happen at such a, you know, a frenetic pace. This is this game is played at such a high speed that these players know what to expect when someone has the puck on their stick in a certain situation, what's going to happen next. And, and it's difficult to predict because obviously this is a sporadic game. Um, You know, everything happens so quickly uh, back and forth, but I think that then speaks to the foundational system that this team, you know, is supposed to have under Heinz direction and it starts in their own end. And I really think it's predicated then on how quickly they can get out of their own end and how quickly and effectively they can break out the puck. And that goes then back to the predictability because if everyone's in the right spot or everyone knows where the puck should go, that transition should happen pretty effectively and at a pace that then allows them to play offense. And this is a North-South team. This isn't an East-West kind of dipsy doodle around the pressure and get through these neutral zone traps that other teams play. This is a team that has to go straight forward. And then it can get on, you know, on the walls, get in a four check, 
win board battles, but then ultimately funnel pucks to the net. And so it all starts in their own end and how quickly they can get the puck out. And it sounds so simple, but I think it gets glossed over because this is a highlight real driven league. Um, everyone wants to see, you know, the mad dashes up ice and, um, you know, the superstar plays. And there is that, but really, I think it's just having that understanding of what to do in those situations at the right time so that they're predictable, so that they know what can happen and they can execute it. And it's been clear when they stick to that and it's been clear when they struggle with that. It, it shows in the results. And so um, the best defense is no defense, right? Why <laughs> you don't have to, if right. you don't have to play defense and you can play offense, that totally alleviates the pressure in their own end. And they're able to get to their style up front. And that's where the Kirill Kaprizovs and the Matt Zuccarellos and the Matt Boldies and the Joel Erickson X can make plays. That's interesting because like we hear NFL coaches sometimes, especially Kevin O'Connell with the Vikings talking about, we want to be unpredictable. We want, like, I think they will, they want to know what they're doing, but they, do, they don't want their opponent necessarily to be able to guess. But that's probably the difference. One of the differences between football and hockey, there's many differences, the ball, the puck, the ice. Okay. <laughs> but like, just in terms of like football starts from a static point, like every 30 seconds or so, like everybody has a chance to kind of regroup and figure this out. Aside from face-offs in the NHL, like everything, like you say, is so fluid happening so fast that you need to know what you can count on. Just, I guess it kind of boils down essentially to like making the simple play or making the, the smart play with, instead of making the play that gets kind of, kind of stay in your lane hockey. Is that, is that kind of what he wants them to do? Like, don't, don't get, don't get over your skis. Just, just do the thing you're supposed to do. Right. And it doesn't strip away creativity. The creativity happens when they get, you know, to the offensive zone and they can make plays and you're making those plays, you know, 150 feet away from your own net. Um, But you're right. It's not being predictable to the other team, but it's being predictable to your own teammates so they can know what to expect. Because what happens when somebody makes a pass and no one's there to receive it? There's a breakdown and we see turnovers and we see, um, you know, what happens when they get leaky in their own end because a clear doesn't happen or somebody doesn't get on the end of a puck or they bobble it because they weren't expecting it. I mean, you can very clearly see when this system breaks down and it it happens when there's those lapses. So it's repetition, it's predictability, it's communication. Um, You know, it's getting that repetition in place. Um, But again, it's, it's not cookie cutter because there still then is that opportunity to overwhelm a team to catch a team by surprise and a lot of times it is through that speed and that transition of how quickly teams can get from defense to offense it's difficult these are the best players in the world the best skaters in the world but you know to turn on a on a tee to start skating backwards and having to defend I mean that's where the surprise and the unpredictability can come but it still stems from the wild know what's going to happen and the other team doesn't but they can are they any closer to figuring out the penalty kill? Because it seems like it's that's another thing that kind of ebbs and flows, but it's mostly uh, it's not been good. I don't know what the exact stat is now, but I think you wrote a few days ago when they had such a struggle in whatever probably their most recent loss. They gave a bunch of power play or power play goals. It was like last in the league and probably still remains down there. What what's the problem with the penalty kill? Why can't they figure this out? Or are they closer to figuring it out? You're right. That is kind of 
maybe ebbed and flowed that that last Tampa Bay loss. You're right. They gave up three power play goals and they were at very crucial times, too, which I think really stung even more. Um, You can look at the Tuesday night game. Washington scored a power play goal late. It didn't change, obviously, the result of the game. But those ones against the Lightning, they really hurt the wild. Um, But after that, you know, they they went four for four in back to back games. They went three for four against Washington. So there's been there's been, I think, some progress there uh, you know some of its personnel too like when they didn't have Brodine, that's a big loss for that unit Spurgeon hasn't played on it consistently this season um you know even someone like Goudreau who was hurt recently he's been a penalty killer so you have to look somewhat too at the personnel who's been in place but I I, I think that's that's kind of been a perennial issue for this team I mean we've seen special teams really kind of define their seasons especially come playoff time like this isn't new for the team that this has been a struggle Um, but it's been a battle this season I think especially to just get out of that early season hole no matter that they've been able to you know at some points rattle off strong performances it's tough to overcome you know the statistical hole that they were you know in early in the season with you know how many goals they were giving up um, and how porous they were in their own end in that situation. But I, I, I think there's been, you know, some progress of late. I think, too, it's just taking the penalties, too, and just getting put in that situation. And that's, you know, no-brainer. You don't have to be on the penalty kill if you don't take it. But I think just having the better discipline and just that smart game management, that's another word that John Hines has mentioned um, quite a bit lately, and just just having that acumen and having that smarts and and you know a lot of these are stick infractions which again this is a game played at high speed you know stuff happens there's action back and forth but just being smart to maybe avoid getting a stick in a scrum and, and eliciting a call um i think that can help too and that's probably you know also made some progress but it's still an area to watch too moving forward especially because Typically, as you get into the second half of the season, the games are going to get tighter. They're going to be more division battles. There's going to be more of those, like we said, four-point games um, that can really change the standings. And special teams get magnified. And so I think it'll continually you know, be something that's under the microscope for this team because it's just going to probably continue to show up in games. So if they can, can kind of continue with what they've done lately, um, getting effective clears, um, you know, boxing out, getting in position to kind of interrupt other power plays. I think, too, like that's a big thing is just, you know, alleviating that pressure, getting that kill, making that that power play go back and retrieve the puck. And it also helps them stay fresh. They can rotate their personnel, get another unit out there. Um, it sounds basic, but that really is the key um, to a successful penalty kill. You see the best ones do it that way. With all the injuries, with all the kind of mixed performances from some of the veterans. Sarah, where would they be without Brock Faber? I mean, we forget like this time last year, he's playing college hockey. Like he hadn't even made his, didn't even make his debut until the playoffs or right around the playoffs. Um, Calder candidate. I mean, I, we know what, you know, we know what Bedard is doing, but he's hurt for a while now. Like he's, he's in that mix for sure. Not just because of by default, because Bedard's going to miss time, but because of how good he's been. Right. And, a lot of times, obviously, I think this award does get, you know, acknowledged with the players that come in and just score a lot of goals or they put up a lot of points. Um, and there's nothing to take away from that because that's difficult to do, too, in this league, especially if, you know, this is an 18 or 19 or 20 year old player. Um, but defense is a unique position. That's a tough role to come in uh, into the NHL and play and play on a nightly basis 
and play in a top pairing role and play almost 25 minutes a night, a which is what Fisher's doing. So not only does he lead all rookies in average time on ice, but he is among the top in the league period. He ranks 11th. So he only plays a second less than Chris Letang in Pittsburgh, wow. who's been regarded as one of you know the steadiest defensemen yeah. in his generation. 12 seconds less than Kale McCarr, who is a Norris Trophy winner, a Conn Smythe winner as playoff MVP, won a Stanley Cup with Colorado. So he's being trusted just as much as some of these caliber of defensemen, the Drew Doughty's. Like, it's it's really impressive, and it's it's merited trust. Like, it's not just he's the only option. Um, I think he's proven that he can handle it. I think it speaks to his pedigree and how he got here, the experience he had with the Gophers internationally with the United States program. Um, you know, he's played at elite levels all the way through his hockey career. Um, but just the poise and the maturity to handle that and handle those matchups. He plays in every situation. Um, so I think when you look at that body of work, that responsibility and that workload, and then factor in, he is putting up points. So even if you want to yeah. look at points, he is putting up points. He's on a point streak right now. That's the franchise record for a rookie defenseman. Um, you know, he's only a handful of points shy of Bedard, who, as you mentioned, is injured and hasn't played in a while and is going to be out for a little while longer. Um, so in that sense, is this not maybe Faber's award to lose? I mean, when you look at that, if he surpasses Bernard in points, um, which the opportunity is there for him to pick up points on a nightly basis because he's on the power play now. He's quarterbacking the first unit um, and he plays so much. So, you know, he's on the ice when this team has those opportunities, obviously. And I think he's kind of showing, too, the instincts that he has. Perfect example of his goal on Tuesday against the Capitals, pinch finding a seam to be in a position to collect a carom off the boards, a rebound and stuff it in the net. Um, you know, really, I think showing how that's kind of evolving for him on the fly is having those instincts and those reads to be able to help this team offensively. But against the caliber of competition that he's playing to the matchups, um, the situations, late game, overtime. Um, you know, I, I really think that he's he's kind of been like the textbook of example of, you know, how to seamlessly, you know, adjust to the NHL right out of college. It's not typical. And I think that's also what kind of makes his candidacy interesting is you don't see this every day. Um, and so I, it'll be an interesting race to monitor the rest of the season. But if Bedard doesn't come back and wow the league, even if he does, you know, I, I think to your point, too, you know, a lot of these awards focus on just the individual talent. But I, I think important context is what they mean to the team and where this team would be, like you said, without favor. And I think that also speaks to proficiency and talent. It's one thing to come in and put up a lot of points on a team that's struggling, but to do it with a team that actually has some playoff potential and is in a race, you detract that and you wonder if they'd still be in that place. To me, that speaks a lot of impact and talent and who's the best. Um, because if you subtract that, it could be a very different picture. Royal Credit Union Smart Checking Accounts offer no monthly fees and no minimum balance. Enjoy financial freedom when you open your Royal Credit Union Smart Checking Account online at rcu.org slash go checking. Insured by NCUA. Good points, all of those. couple more things for you, Sarah McClellan, before we go. One, the goalies have been interesting this year, right? Gustafson kind of slumped at the beginning of the year. He's been much better 
lately kind of carrying a lot of the load, especially, you know, except for when he was hurt. Flurry hurt right now, but he got second place uh, all time on, on the wins list. So he's got that now. We're not on Flurry watch anymore. Wallstead made his debut somewhere in there. Didn't go great, but, you know, he's still kind of waiting in the wings. Like, how do we how do we kind of take a look at wh- what the goalies are up to right now? Yeah, I, I think for, for Gustafson, he's kind of gone back to where he was earlier in the season. Yeah, I, I think it's tough sitting that long injured. Um, and it's so difficult to mimic game situations in practice, even if he's skating. So, you know, and, and I think he acknowledged to, you know, his first game back, you know, you're kind of wondering, am I, am I perfectly okay? Like, can I really stretch out and make, you know, make this safe? Um, and I think for him in that Florida game, when he came in relief of flurry after flurry was hit behind the net, uh, I think that was a, a turning point for him. And, and he still gave up, gave up three goals in that game, but when it mattered most, he really, you know, was airtight late in the third period to really help the wild preserve that win. And um, so he looks like he's obviously returned to form and flurry. You're right. I, I think for a while, um, you know, as he was getting close to, to tying Patrick Waugh and then passing Patrick Waugh, I think that was a big motivator for this team. And you know, I think that was something that, um, it's a long season, it's 82 games and it's up and down and it's January. And, you know, I think it, the grind can really set in. And I think having something like that, like being part of history and being alongside someone accomplishing a feat that really might not happen again, like someone might not come yeah. where- you know, yeah. the way the way that goalie workloads have tapered off in the league and they've kind of more transitioned sometimes to a 1A, 1B, like we don't see goalies rattling off 70 starts anymore or even close to that. So so he might be second, you know, forever. And, yeah. and I think the Wild really embraced that. Like I, you could see the joy and the excitement. And at that point when they were kind of clamoring up and down and, you know, the, the win actually that Tidewa ended a losing streak for the team. Yeah. And, and then the win to pass Patrick Watt ended another slump. And so I think that that was kind of a, a galvanizing, you know, point for the team. And, um, Flurry played well. That was that was um, you know a shutout, obviously, in his win that passed Patrick Waugh. I think he's been super competitive. He's been flurry, right? Like even yeah. the game that tied him when he was racing back to try to protect the empty net in Columbus and the windmill glove saves. He is still very much like vintage flurry. And that to me speaks to his competitiveness and wanting to win. And that's what this team needs. They're in a battle and every point is important and it's been tough. It's been a long season. There's been the coaching change, the seven game losing streak, the four game losing streak, the losing, you know, seven out of eight, like it's been tough for this team, but to have kind of those, like, you know, those moments or bursts of excitement or feel good action, um, a lot of it stemmed from their net and from their goaltenders. And, you know, Wallstead's debut was obviously very difficult. And that was, you know, in a stretch, again, that's been very tough for this team. 
that Dallas matchup going back to the playoffs last year, that has been tough for this team. So for him to go on the road in Dallas, um, you know, after the team had just lost to Dallas at home, it was tough. Um, But again, you know, I think still this is now a situation where when the team's playing well, they're getting the the, the goaltending that they need to be competitive. And I think you've seen that lately with Gustafson and, him being, you know, in net for all three of these wins that they'll take into this Nashville game. Given all that, you know, the break is coming up. What's a realistic expectation for this team this year? Is it that they should stay in the race and at least make it close? Is it that they should be a top eight team? Is it that, man, this just isn't the year and, and you know, it, it might, you know, kind of falter towards the end? What's What's a realistic expectation? We're probably going to know sooner than later because the way that I look at the schedule coming out of the break is it's opportunity. It's opportunity to either, you know, pull closer or jump over the teams that they're chasing, or it's an opportunity for those teams to, you know, keep the wild in the rearview mirror. There are a lot of games coming up out of the break against teams that they are in direct competition with for, you know, that last wild card spot. They're going to see a lot more of Nashville, Arizona, St. Louis, um, you know, even Seattle. And there's some tough teams in there regardless. They're going to see Vegas. They're going to see Vancouver again, Winnipeg, um, you know, which is having a tremendous season. So there are some tough games coming up. So this to me is very make or break. Um, again, I think it speaks to opportunity. You know, if, if you're chasing a team, wouldn't you want to play them and pry yep. those points away from them and you get them? So I, I think it's going to be very telling. And I think it'll be very telling soon out of the break because I think they're going to rattle off, um, you know, some of those games soon. They're going to see Arizona soon after the break. Um, you know, they're going to see Seattle, um, again, Nashville, St. Louis. And I think that's all kind of right before the trade deadline. So again, that could be a really telling moment for the direction of this team, but it's opportunity to me for them to really show what they're made of and it can go either way, but I think we'll probably know maybe, you know, that first month out of the break, most of February where this team is headed because the math is just going to make it so, you know, these are going to be four point games, you know, seemingly, you know, every other night. Um, and so I think we're going to really see soon here if they can keep up with that or if those points, um, you know, they just become too much for them to overcome. We'll have one of those even Thursday before the break. Like you said, to get that Nashville game is important. You want to have some momentum going into that break as well. Sarah McClellan, appreciate it as always. We'll check in again soon. Sounds good. Take care. Good stuff from Sarah. It's going to be an uphill climb for the Wild, regardless of how well they play. They just lost so many points along the way here. We should get some clarity soon, but essentially it's like two two spots are kind of up for grabs. It looks like the Oilers have figured themselves out. They've won 14 in a row. So you kind of feel you kind of have a top six in the Western Conference pretty clearly defined right now. Then you've got like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams kind of battling for two wild card spots and the wild kind of at the bottom of that heap right now. So we'll see. They do have a chance. You look at the probability reports anywhere from like, you know, 12 to 20 percent right now not you know not astronomical but not great right now just because of 
too many dips, too many lulls in this season. An opportunity, like Sarah said, over the next month, month and a half before the trade deadline to maybe get back in a position where they would want to add rather than subtract, but still not where they want to be in the course of this season. Let us finish with the cooler. Wolves are back where they want to be in the course of this season. Beat Washington on Wednesday night. Wizards, not a good team. Wolves trailed at halftime, but got a much better effort in the second half. It started making more shots. I don't know if there's effort so much in the first half. They just weren't making shots. They started off a little bit slow, but kind of refocused. They were pretty good for most of this game, and especially the second half. Kind of, like I said at the beginning, wipe away that uh, that taste from that Charlotte loss. Everybody was kind of fixated on for a couple days. That bad loss at home, up by 15 in the fourth quarter to a bad team. They end up losing by three. Immaturity talked about at that point. I wrote about and talked about Mike Conley Jr. being out for that game with rest. Well, he missed this game with illness, and they still managed to win. So that's a good sign, too. Maybe a, a more mature effort even without their most mature player on the court. That bodes well for them for any kind of stretch that he's going to have to miss at any point this season and for any time he's off the court, even when he is around. That'll do it for me today. Expecting to have Glenn Perkins, former Twins pitcher, longtime teammate of Joe Maurer, and current analyst for the Twins on Friday show to talk Joe Maurer, to talk about the upcoming season things of that nature so looking forward to that conversation until then i am michael Rand. enjoy the rest of your thursday back at it again tomorrow